Welcome to an episode of the podcast Art Insiders New York. My name is Anders Holst. The theme of the podcast is New York with a focus on behind the scenes conversations with fascinating people who are making an impact in the world of art, design and architecture. One of my favorite things to do on a Saturday afternoon is to join Raphael Reisenberg on one of his gallery tours in Chelsea and enjoy a couple of hours of wonderfully curated contemporary art experience. New York City is the world's center for contemporary art with over 600 galleries and the most frequent tours takes place in Chelsea with its 300 galleries and in galleries in Soho, Lower East Side, Upper East Side and Midtown. So if you're interested in what's happening in the gallery art world, you now have the opportunity to listen to the person who visits them all. We are very happy to have Raphael Reisenberg here for a walk through the contemporary art galleries of New York. So Raphael, one interesting aspect of, of these gallery tours, I think, is that um, I have a, a, an artist friend uh, here who lives in New York and he says, Anders, why do you pay to go on gallery tours? And uh, what I find is that I get to see things that I would never see on my own. That's I mean, exactly I would right. use my own of preferences. Yes. So do you, is, that, is that maybe the reason why many people love to have another person, you know, right. curate their experience? What you're mostly paying me for is to visit a lot of exhibits that are showing uninteresting art. Out of 300 exhibits at any one time in Chelsea, I only like 20. Of the 20, I love 10, and of the 10, I show you seven. So that means there's 280 out of the 300 at any one time in Chelsea that I, it's not that I hate it or even dislike it, but I have, I'm, it's boring to me. It's not interesting. And if you were to just go on your own, hmm. you're going to, 280 out of three, you're not going to visit 300, you're going to visit a few, and most of those are going to be really boring. Hmm. And so... On my tour, you're, you're, whether you like the art that I show you or not, you're not going to be bored. You're going to be riveted. And mm -hmm. that's why people not only come on my tours, the whole reason that it became a business is they kept coming back. That, you know, and I mean, you've been on, what, two dozen tours? I think so. I, I have don't even know how many. I have a lot of cards stamped uh, yeah, over in I mean, my you, desk. You've been on, you <laughs> know, you're desk. an example, you're one of many who have been on, I mean, I've, a couple of people have been on hundreds of my tours because they're getting a new one every time. Yeah. And I have some people who, in a joking way, say they're mad at me because now they don't go on their own anymore. They used to, because now when they go on their own, it, nothing is that exciting. Yeah. Well, I have friends... You know, uh, I spoiled it for them. Yeah. You know, I have <laughs> friends coming in to, to New York to, to stay for a week or a weekend or whatever, and I always take them on these tours. And they, they love it. They say, oh, that tour was so right. beautiful, and they take photos of it. And, and if they you had just walked around randomly, they wouldn't have had that experience. Not at all. Probably they wouldn't have seen one exciting one out of 10 that you took them to, probably no. not even one. First of all, the arts are inherently interesting. That's number one. But in particular, the galleries are different than museums. And I love museums. And I visit every major museum show in New York. And that takes a lot of my time, too, though I almost never give a museum tour. But as much as I like museums, museums are showing older art that's decades centuries and even millennia old, like ancient Greek, ancient Roman. I have so much respect for all the art that the museums show, but my passion is the newest art. Mm -hmm. That's what really gets my blood boiling mm -hmm. in a good way. And 
95% of New York's 600 galleries at any one time are showing brand new artwork that's being shown for the first time. And so it gives people the option, the opportunity to see this, you asked why they like it, to see the cutting edge. So for example, the latest technology. I mean, I don't know if you were on this particular tour, but a month and a half ago, um, I gave a tour where when I walked in myself just to, you know, as one of the 300 Chelsea shows just to check out, I thought, okay, it's an okay video exhibit, fine. You know, I'm not going to bring my group. It's kind of slow moving. Um, it, nicely artful, but not a big deal. And then after seeing it, the next thing I do is I always read about the, the exhibit. And to my amazement, I mean, I just dropped to the floor. It turned out it wasn't videos entirely computer drawn. Mm -hmm. Like it became so, it was so realistic because they were using the same technology that the software manufacturers that do um, uh, video games, yeah. which is a huge business and they're attracting the best computer programmers in the world yeah. because they, they want to make even more money, you know. And so Gallery artists who do video and computer art are now piggybacking on the incredibly, what's becoming adv technologically advanced. I think one of them is called Maya software. You can buy it. It's, they're, it's not, they're not stealing it. They buy the software. And so that's an example of when people come on my tour, they're seeing the newest technology that would have, that was staggering to me even just two months ago when I saw it for the first time let alone, I can't even imagine if I'd seen it 16 years ago. I was thinking about the other one that was also impressive, about the cell phone, the first oh, mobile yes. cell phone call yes. ever made. So would you say that video art in this way is the new thing that's coming through uh, more forcefully than well, other disciplines? I'll tell you, I don't think percentage-wise there's a higher percentage of video art or even computer art than when I started 16 years ago, to my surprise. I think it's the, the large majority of art in Chelsea is still painting, sculpture, and photography. Mm -hmm. That's what it was 16 years ago. That's yeah. what it is now. But there's always enough good, really extraordinary video and computer art and photography, has the more digital it gets, the more they can do with that, the more high-tech it becomes. They're doing things now they couldn't do. That it's almost always part of my tour. But I, but I would say, you know, is it a, is it a new thing? I, no. Be, I mean, it was a new thing in the 1970s. Yeah. You know, I mean, it, so it's not new. Um, they're, they're doing things with, digitally that they couldn't do before, and that'll continue. But I would say... Still, most of the art in of 600 galleries, it's still mostly non-digital. Yeah. And that'll continue for a while. I don't know. I can't predict 100 years from now. You also, in, in your tours, you incorporate this interactive moment when you have right. the guests discussing the art. Uh, why is that important? I know of one person who does gallery tours who her rule is no one can talk throughout the tour, not even to ask a question. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm the opposite. And when I was a teacher, it was the same thing. There, most of the people teaching in my university would just lecture. Mm -hmm. That's, you know, it was a, it's not that they had a rule against talking, it's just that that's the standard mode of teaching is lecture. Yeah. And I never liked it. I, I didn't like being lectured to when I was a student. And I didn't like, as a professor, Lecture. It wasn't fun and interesting. So it's a matter of my personal 
interest that that being interactive is part of who I am. What do you think explains this incredible, um, I would say, surge in the interest in contemporary art? I mean, if you look at all these art fairs, for instance, you have Volta, Armory, now you have The Independent. I think I went to four uh, art right. fairs uh, in March here. And it seems to be, uh, and you have Freeze, and you have uh, right. all these. What do you think explains this uh, this big interest in contemporary art on a, on a mass market scale, really? That's hard for me to answer because I can only say that I've always been interested in the newest art. And so well before it became, let's say, in vogue. Mm. So it's hard for me to explain. But I can give you supporting evidence is that it used to be that um, museums didn't have very much contemporary art. And now every museum is doing everything they can in order to generate more traffic, which means more ticket sales, like even the Met, which is really the last dinosaur that had almost no contemporary art. Now they have an entire building. Hmm. You know, in addition to their one on 82nd Street, they took over the old Whitney Museum. Uh, it's now called the, the uh, Met, Met Brewer, that the entire building is contemporary. I mean, so they finally joined the bandwagon. Um, the, the, the Guggenheim is showing more contemporary than ever. Maybe it has to do with the sort of the interactive, uh, the digital society we live in, social media. Maybe images and photographs and things like that has become more interesting and more useful in the communication between people. I don't think that's a factor. I don't know, but... Um, because, as I said, there's not more digital art proportionately being shown in galleries mm -hmm. and even museums than there used to be. Mm -hmm. it's, it's really not. So I don't think that's the reason. Um, I think just a turning point came in. So, so, something clicked where, you know, it probably... Like, here's an example. I think 30 years ago you could buy contemporary art for not much money. And mm. if you wanted an investment, you didn't invest in contemporary, you invested in you know, Impressionism and, and Greek art, and you know, Roman, I mean, Renaissance art, that was the investment. And then something happened that I don't know that suddenly it became more than fashionable for wealthy collectors to own contemporary art. It became an important part of their investment portfolio. Mm -hmm. And I think that happened probably around the same time, though, and again, I don't know the factors that the museum public became more and more interested in seeing contemporary art. Now, New York, as you said, was this, is the center of, uh, or Soho, rather, was the center of the contemporary right. art market in the 60s and 70s. Uh, are there any other countries or, or communities that you see on the horizon that is growing? I mean, when you go to these art fairs, you see a lot yeah. of Chinese art. And, um, China is not going to be a world center okay. because they practice censorship. Hmm. If they were smart, <laughs> if they wanted to, yeah. it would be really simple. Keep the censorship on everything else in the country, but lift it completely on art, and then they would become rivals to New York and within a matter of years. I see. But there's no way that the art world is going to you know, make Beijing or Shanghai the world center when they're not going to be able to show a lot of what, you know, including political mm -hmm. censor, you know, like if it's anti-Chinese, sexuality, violence. Yeah. So that's not going to happen. And right now, I, let me give you a very brief history of how New York became and which neighborhoods in New York that you probably are not aware of. Paris, for, you know, centuries, was the world center. 
And um, throughout the 1800s and mid-1900s, and the only reason they're not anymore is because World War II decimated Paris. I mean, the Germans took over the city. I mean, it was, and so all of the art gallery uh, owners, the dealers fled, uh, knowing that they, and a lot of them were Jewish, that was part of them, but even the ones that were not Jewish knew that kind of censorship that I told you was happening in yeah. China. They knew they weren't going to be able to show the kind of art, nothing cutting edge, at least, no, I mean, no way. I mean, the, the amount that Germany was censoring their own artists and killing their, I mean, it was ridiculous. So they fled to New York, and I don't know why New York, but basically a lot of the great European artists and a lot of the, uh, probably I'm thinking a majority of the gallery owners moved to New York, and that's why New York became the world center. And where the world center first neighborhood was Midtown Manhattan in the 57th Street area, which still has around 30 galleries. It's not a major, but it's enough that I do an occasional tour there. And that was the world center from the late 1940s until the Mm mid-1960s. It had a good 20-year run Mm -hmm. as the world's epicenter for contemporary art. The next came Soho because it was much cheaper and kind of filthy and disgusting. Now, of course, everyone wants to come here. (laughs) But the artists and galleries moved from the more expensive Midtown to Soho. And Soho had its heyday, was the world's epicenter for contemporary art from the late 1960s until the mid-19, the late 1990s. And that's when the real estate was too expensive in Soho and Chelsea was dirt cheap Mm -hmm. because it was an ugly industrial zone full of prostitutes and drug dealing at night. And the, um, the clubs had paved the way, like nightclubs, discos had moved there for the very reason that it was the cheapest place in Manhattan to have a large open space for dancing. Mm. And, and it made the streets safer. Like, like, I don't know if it was them or the police that started, because Chelsea was quite crime-ridden mm-hmm. at the time that the clubs moved in. But then it became, you, you know, and to go out at night was risky. So then it became safer, and the Chelsea galleries piggybacked on the fact that now Chelsea is safe, and the rents are much lower than Soho, which at the time, and so there was no strategy. There was no like master plan. It was just the first gallery moved there in 1994 Mm -hmm. because of that rent, and then others found out about it and followed them. So now Chelsea's had a good 20 plus years of being the world center. And who knows what's next? Mm. I, you know, I'm not tied to Chelsea. I'm tied to New York. Uh, it would be terrible if the World Center went somewhere else. I, London is not going to be it because of Brexit. And I, it wasn't going to be it anyway, even with Brexit. But I, I, probably before Brexit, London had the best chance outside of New York. Beijing has zero chance or any or Shanghai because of the censorship. I suppose Berlin has an outside chance. but. From what I understand, it's Berlin is more like how do I call it? Smaller galleries. Mm-hmm. The, the the big name galleries aren't. They have a lot of galleries, but it's so far it hasn't happened. And Europe is not doing that well lately anyway, with mm-hmm. all the divisions mm-hmm. that they're seeing. Mm-hmm. And so, what else is there? Where else is there besides Europe? I can't imagine, you know, a South American country, 
another Asian country. Japan is has very few galleries. Mm. I mean, and and so it's. I think for the next several decades, it's going to be New York. Where where in New York? That I have no idea because of the the, the higher the rents go into Chelsea, the, the galleries are going to be moving. They already are. They're moving to Bushwick, but I don't see Bushwick becoming the epicenter because it's not in Manhattan. No. So it's a big question mark. Since you started 16 years ago, what has changed in the art world? I'm going to tell you two trends that I've noticed. Number one the rise of income inequality in the galleries, which is a reflection of exactly what's happening in our economy now, mm -hmm. which is that the wealthy galleries are getting more and more of the higher proportion of gallery spaces. So for example, when I started doing tours 16 years ago, there was one Gagosian gallery in Chelsea and one in the Upper East Side. Now there are two Gagosians in Chelsea and three in the Upper East Side. There was one David's Werner Gallery, and now there are four David's, five. They just opened a fifth in Chelsea alone. Hmm. Um, there was one Pace Gallery, and now there are three, and they're about to open their fourth. And so, and in the meantime, so part of that 600 galleries is what I, like, I don't count the Gagosian as one gallery. I count it as right now there's five. And um, so at the same time that the mega galleries, the mega wealthy ones are growing, the mid-level galleries are getting priced out because mm -hmm. real estate right now is, a, is a, the one crisis. Even though financially there are more sales in galleries in New York than ever in any location in human history. It's incredibly successful, but the proportion keeps of those sales keeps getting more and more concentrated on the wealthiest galleries. Mm -hmm. And so the mid-sized galleries are moving to Lower East Side and mm -hmm. Bushwick. Mm -hmm. And guess what? Rents in the Lower East Side and Bushwick are now going up. Yeah. And so the question is, where do they go next? Yeah. I can tell you right now, Chinatown yeah. is that I just had my first ever Chinatown gallery tour. Overnight, like 40 galleries are now. And they're not Chinese gallery owners. They're mm -hmm. not Chinese artists. They're, it's more like young, edgy, Lower East Side kind of galleries I that see. are now in Chinatown, which is, they're there entirely because it's Manhattan with some of the lowest rent. So that's a change. Another change I would say is a lot more artists of color and women are shown now than 16 years ago, a lot more. Um, so for example, it's not uncommon now for me to have a tour where I'm not choosing on the basis of gender, I'm just choosing, here are my seven favorite exhibits out of 300. I would say it's not uncommon that on a given week it'll be more female artists than male artists. It's not, still not the likelihood, but before it used to be unheard of that I could find, I mean, there's no way the majority would be most, you know, of the ones that I found. But now it's a lot more women or, and, and people of color. For young artists, has it become easier for them to break into the market or more difficult because of the sort of the corporatization it's of It's never art? been easy and never will be <laughs> because even though there's 600 New York galleries yeah. and each gallery represents around 20 artists, do the math. 600 times 20 is about 12,000. Yeah. 
and there's eight shows a year. I mean, that's, there are millions of artists, and there are these limited, it's extremely hard to break into the art world, and it always will be. Younger artists, where they're breaking in is not Chelsea, which the median age in Chelsea is probably 50s and 60s. They're breaking in into what are now becoming my two most exciting gallery neighborhoods. Chelsea is the best. Chelsea is the most extraordinary, because I have 800, I mean, 300 to choose from, and I choose seven. But now the Lower East Side has 150 galleries for me to choose from, and those artists are on average 20 years younger than the Chelsea artists. Mm -hmm. And Bushwick has another 50, and those yeah. artists are even younger than the Lower East Side artists. Mm -hmm. And the reason for that is that in those two neighborhoods, Lower East Side and Bushwick, the rents are lower than Chelsea, or any other, you know, the Upper East Side, or, or even Soho and Tribeca. And so you're getting younger gallery owners mm -hmm. opening their first gallery and bringing in new younger artists. So it's still extremely difficult to break in. Artists don't market themselves. Basically, the way they get in is the connections, that yeah. they know another artist who's represented, and then the the, that artist will tell the gallery owner, oh, you know, you should, when you visit my studio, my friend's studio is nearby, you should visit them. That's, it, they're not marketing themselves. What advice would you give then to young, uh, there may be some young artists uh, listening to this podcast and how to move in, how to break into the New York art market. So it's all about relations. Yes. I would suggest that they share studios in Brooklyn and the four important neighborhoods are Bushwick, Williamsburg, Greenpoint, and Dumbo, and to make as, as a wide a network of relationships with other artists. And some of those artists are bound to eventually become represented by New York galleries or galleries elsewhere in the world. And that's their ticket to getting represented. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest advice I would mm -hmm. give. Some artists, they have a factory or a group of people who actually help them to uh, execute the, uh, the art, and, and, uh, and that is, uh, of course, not a new thing. That's always been the case. But how do you, what are your feelings around that? Do you think that that's sort of a sort of manufacturing aspect of it? Does it take away the authenticity of the Only creative process? Only a handful process? of artists can afford to hire enough people to do that. Yeah. So we're talking about Damien Hurst and Jeff Koons, and that's about it. And Andy Warhol used to do it when he was wealthy. It's really not... I wouldn't call it a phenomenon. It's more like an oddity mm -hmm. because the vast majority of artists aren't selling any of their artwork because they're not represented by a gallery. Even the artists who are represented the vast by a gallery, even by a Chelsea gallery, yeah. the, the majority of them are not making their entire living through they're getting one show every three years. Maybe you came to my recent Jeff Koons show where I made a whole point about how he didn't, he had a dozen paintings and he didn't uh, touch a single paintbrush. It was his concept. He has 82 people on his payroll, most of whom are artists. But they're, they're an anomaly. Yeah. That's not a trend in any way. And by the way, I have no problem with it whatsoever. Mm -hmm. If it became a trend, and, and if most artists hired people to do their artwork, it wouldn't bother me at all. All I care about is, is the art interesting. Stephen Hawking doesn't type 
his books. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, like his hand is not on his books; it's his mind. Yeah. And other people do the typing. Fashion designers, you know, um, Yves Saint Laurent and Calvin Klein do not sew their clothing. They come up with a vision, they do the drawings, mm -hmm. and then they hire the best sewers mm -hmm. to execute. You know, so I'm f I'm fine with that <laughs> because their clothes are fabulous, yeah. and you know, and Jeff Koons, a lot of his artwork is fabulous. I don't care that he didn't execute it. The important thing is that he it was his vision, and yeah. he was able to carry out that vision by, in this case, hiring other people. You told me before that one of your passion is to see art and also new art. Uh, do you have any specific favorites in terms of galleries or genres? Personally, I'm the most excited by technology and art. Mm -hmm. So that would be video art, computer art, f digital photography. Yeah. But, you know, I, I say that and then I find an incredibly innovative painting show. You know, some, someone doing something with painting I've never seen. Yeah. And I'm just as excited by that. So I don't have, and I don't have a particularly favorite gallery. What do the gallery think of these tours? Do they think it's a good for, for business? It promotes them in a wonderful way? Or is it a nuisance? Neither. Most of them are completely indifferent. <laughs> it doesn't matter to them. They're, we're not a nuisance, nor are we a help, because the art is probably too expensive for anyone on my tour to purchase. So... Um, I would say this, the galleries in those neighborhoods with the, the, where the gallery owners are younger and the artists are younger, they're more inviting. They see it as more, pop the, the, the cost is lower, so there's more of a likelihood someone on my tour is gonna buy the artwork. Mm -hmm. um, and the cost is lower because the rents are lower and because the artists are not very famous. And so, you know, you, you're basically when you're p buying art, you're buying, you're paying for the reputation of the artist. Yeah. Um, and so those smaller galleries with younger gallery owners in the Lower East Side and Bushwick, the gallery owners tend to be there at the desk mm -hmm. when I bring my group. And so I have more of a personal relationship with them. And the, sure enough, they'll come out and talk to the group yeah. and like, you know, greet me warmly and welcome. And they're not indifferent at all. You said that your group probably don't uh, have the money to buy the art that we uh, look at. Uh, right. We look at it. These, uh, well, have you bought any? Um, I have actually. You have. I have actually bought. Uh, well, not on from the, my tour, though. You know that that uh, head over there. Yes. The, yeah. I don't think I showed that one on. on no, I think it was between two stops okay. because okay. I knew I had friends. So you, you ducked into another gallery. Exactly. Okay. I had friends there, okay. and then I saw this uh, okay. this bull's head, and I loved it. So when we finished your tour, I, I went back and, and actually got That's it. That's great. Museums are huge buyers of art, obviously. Yeah. That's, what, that's what they have in their collections. Yeah. And, and investors, you know, uh, people who, you know, for their home and also they store it elsewhere. Like right now, th this is new and I've never been to one, but there are now private museums that are springing up from very wealthy collectors yeah. who have way more art than their home can, even if they have 10 homes, then their 10 homes can be furnished. And so they have set up private museums by invitation only. What do you do when you're not visiting 300 galleries uh, a month? Well, like anyone else, it's, it's my nine-to-five job. Mm -hmm. And yes, I spend much more time visiting new exhibits alone yeah. than I do actually leading tours. Mm -hmm. That's the bulk of, that's my nine-to-five job. And so um, I'm actually quite an arts fanatic. I see theater almost every night, or at least a performance, whether theater or dance, almost every night.
Could you tell me a little bit about your personal background and how you got into this business? I did my first gallery tour 16 years ago in 2002. At the time, I was a full-time tenured college professor, and I have a PhD in a field called educational psychology with a focus on art education. Hmm. And I, at the time, for a couple of years before I started the tours, I would make my classes uh, teaching schedule Monday to Thursday so that on Fridays I'd have the day off and spend the entire day visiting Chelsea galleries. Um, because by that point, I think there were 250 and about 50 openings a week, and I was able to cover all the openings in one day. And it was just, it was, a, it was my passion, and I didn't think I'd ever make a living from it, but, um, but it was my main interest at the time. And then I got the idea to give a tour because I was realizing after a couple of years there would be 50 openings a week and I only liked two or three of them. Mm -hmm. And so I was thinking, well, maybe once a month I'll do a tour and I'll, every week if there's two or three, I'll add those up. So for the month, I'll have like around eight or ten to do on one tour, but there'll be eight or ten incredible exhibits. It won't be anything average. So how many different tours do you organize on, on a yearly basis? I mean, the, the different kinds well, of tours, right? Well, I give scheduled tours that happen every Saturday, and then I give private tours during the week. So my scheduled tours are on Saturdays because Chelsea galleries and most other neighborhood galleries are closed Sundays. Mm. They're most, mostly open Tuesdays to Saturdays. So Saturday is the ideal day that people, you know, aren't working and can join the tour. Hmm. And so every Saturday I give a scheduled tour, and it could be Chelsea now, it's also Lower East Side, Soho, Tribeca, Upper East Side, Midtown, and Bushwick, Brooklyn, which is, you know, becoming one of my favorites. We'll talk about that if you have questions. Yeah. And then private tours, because galleries are open weekdays, Tuesdays through Fridays, mm -hmm. anyone can arrange a private tour just for themselves. Since I started doing the tours, one gallery neighborhood emerged, the Lower East Side, which, has, which is open Sundays. So really, every day except Monday, there's a, there's a gallery neighborhood, an excellent gallery neighborhood, where plenty of galleries are open for me to give an exceptional tour. And there is also a new uh, a little innovation in the planning here, and that is to visit act the actual artist's studio, if I Yeah, I've that. never done that before. Um, I'm, every tour in the last 16 years, every Saturday, I don't know how many hundreds or thousands of tours that is, have been gallery tours. You know, I'm always looking for new things to do like like when I started I was just doing Chelsea and then I expanded to Soho and then I expanded to Upper East Side yeah. and eventually Lower East Side and yeah. now Bushwick so I'm of course I'm and and it has to do with my own personal you know interest during my tours one of my the the favorite things and you've certainly must have experienced on an occasion is that when an artist speaks to the group yeah. in the gallery yeah it's absolutely riveting because yeah. we're not just seeing the artwork, we're seeing the artist himself or herself talking about it. I get to ask questions that the gallery doesn't even know the answer to yeah. because you know it's very personal about you know what inspired the artist sometimes and sometimes it's you know really they say things that are just 
very moving. So that's always a highlight. And I can't, uh, usually my tours don't include artist speakers because we're only in, in a space for 10 or so minutes. And, you know, it's tough to, and I'd ask, um, I never ask a famous artist. That I wouldn't even, th you know, they would never, but let's say it's an emerging artist. Yeah. Or, and especially if it's one who lives in the neighborhood, then I'm more likely to say, you know, I'm bringing my group anyway. I think you have one of the top exhibits. Would, you know, I tell the gallery owner, and I'll tell the artist, because I don't know the artist. I tell the gallery owner, here's my card. Let this person know that we're coming anyway. And this Saturday, which is June 9th, uh, 2018, I'm having my first ever artist studios tour. So no galleries on that tour. It's going to be seven artist studios. Um, but between now and then, I'm going to be visiting everyone that I can. It's dozens. They're all walking distance. So the, the spaces are not going to be immaculate like galleries. They're going to be messy, mm -hmm. and, and they're not going to only see finished artwork. They will see some. It's going to be a mix of finished artwork and works in progress. Mm -hmm. So uh, the magic number here seems to be seven. Uh, there's seven... Just because of two hours. I see. So, but that means that you then have to go and visit. How many galleries are there in New York? 600. 600. 300 are in Chelsea. Mm -hmm. 150 are in the Lower East Side. 50 are now in Bushwick. Those are the top three. And that's, and that's partly why those are my three favorite gallery neighborhoods. And so, like, there's... I mean, Upper East Side is actually close with 45. Midtown now has around 30. Mm -hmm. Soho has around 20, but now Tribeca is suddenly is emerging, which is next door, basically, across from Canal Street, that has another 20. Mm -hmm. So now I don't just do a Soho tour, I do a Soho Tribeca tour. I see. For, that's now 40 galleries. Because yeah. we're sitting in Soho uh, right. in downtown Manhattan, and this used to be a very vibrant artist community. This used to be not just an artist community, this used to be the world center for contemporary galleries. Hmm. Not so much anymore. Very few. Now there's only 20. Yeah. And, and I think next year there will be fewer than 20. I mean, every year it's yeah. because... It's, it's entirely because of real estate. It's not like, you know, suddenly Soho's become a slum. It's the opposite. <laughs> that, that's, you know... I mean, galleries love to set up shop in slums because the rents are low. They, and when Soho was a slum... That's why the galleries moved here and the artists moved here. So I understand that in preparation of all these different tours, you actually have to go and visit every oh, yeah. gallery. That's by far the bulk of my work. I know that there may be 10 or 12 other gallery tours. Those others probably visit 20 or so, and those are the ones that are on their tour. They don't have the time. Mm -hmm. Um, and they don't have, you know, because, I mean, because just Chelsea alone is me visiting 300 new shows a month. No one is obsessive and crazy enough to do that, except me. <laughs> and I was doing it for two years before I started New York Gallery Tours, and I've been continuing doing it in the 16 years since. Thank you so much, uh, Raphael Reisenberg. It was great to have you here as our guest and to get a better understanding uh, for the contemporary art market in New York. Thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, it's a pleasure. Thank, Thank you. you. This is Art Insiders New York. My name is Anders Holst. If you enjoyed this episode of Art Insiders New York podcast, head over to iTunes to subscribe, rate, and leave a review. Thank you. This episode was produced by UOM LLC, copyright 2019.